0: Good morning, everyone. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 19. We are going to take a couple weeks break from our study of the book of Numbers for Palm Sunday and for uh, Easter Sunday. This morning, we're going to be in Luke, chapter 19, starting in verse 28. This is Luke's account of the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Now. A little bit of background, what's going on in the book of Luke. In chapter 9 of the book of Luke is the turning point of the gospel when the Lord Jesus has been ministering for a while in the northern region of Israel with his disciples and he asks his disciples, who do the people say that I Am. and there's all sorts of different answers that they give about who the people say that jesus is and then he turns and he says but who do you say that i am of course we know that the disciple peter says that you are the christ the son of god and from that point the Lord Jesus turns his eye towards Jerusalem and heads south. And for the next for the next ten chapters in the Gospel of Luke, from chapter nine now to chapter nineteen, we have the history of Jesus's travels from the northern region of Israel south into Jerusalem. And now we have the climax of that journey as he's coming into Jerusalem, finishing this journey that He must come to Jerusalem and die for His people. So we pick up in verse 28 of chapter 19 of this journey. This is God's holy word for us, His people. And when He had said these things, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When He drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, He sent two of His disciples, saying... And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as He rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As He was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of His disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father God, as we come now to this time of year, as we remember the events of the week that led up to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and to His resurrection from the dead, we pray that You would fix our minds and our hearts upon what Christ has done for us and that we might truly receive it in faith. We pray as we come to Your Word now that You would open our eyes to see and to understand and to apply it to our lives. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. He is considered to be the best basketball player of all time. He's been called the star of stars. His airness or just MJ. And while his rise to greatness seems inevitable now, Michael Jordan wasn't always a superstar. He talks about growing up, he would lose basketball games all the time to his older brother. He was cut from his high school basketball team. He was expected to ride the bench at Carolina. But in his freshman year, the world got a glimpse of the glorious career that was to come. With the final seconds of the NCAA championship winding down, freshman Michael Jordan hit a clutch jump shot to give the Tar Heels the victory over Georgetown. A young man from Wilmington got his turn in the spotlight. But there was, this was not the end for Jordan. It was only a glimpse of what was to come. For a moment, the basketball world was shown the future of the sport. For Jordan would go on to win the MVP award five times. He would win the NBA championship six times. He would lead the league in scoring, would be named the defensive player of the year. Not only do sports fans believe he is the best basketball player of all time, many argue that he may be the best professional athlete of all time. Now, why do I bring all this up? Well, maybe it's because of March Madness. It's on my mind. I've been watching basketball games. But as we look at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, what we see is a tiny glimpse of the glory and the power and the majesty that is to come. For a moment, what is revealed is how great the king of glory is. And those who saw it had to rejoice. They rejoiced at what they saw. But more than that, they rejoiced in hope for what was to come. They lay their cloaks down at His feet. They wave the palm branches along the path. As He rides upon a humble donkey into Jerusalem, they sing a hymn of rejoicing and worship. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It was a glimpse, a moment, a foreshadow of the greatness to come. But the Pharisees want the people to be quiet. The established power does not want to see the rise of a great king. Nevertheless, Jesus responds that he must be worshipped. Though he is humble, though veiled in flesh, though he is revealed just a glimpse of the glory that is to come, he must be worshipped. The imperative to worship him is so great that he says in verse 40, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem was just a glimpse of His glory to come. Yet, when we see even a glimpse of His glory, we must worship Him for what He has done and what He will do. Now, we have to admit, it is a bit of a strange statement that a stone will cry out if the followers of Christ stop worshiping Him. Are we to believe that the stones would literally be given the power to vocalize their praise of Jesus if the people were silent? Now, while I don't believe that is what Jesus is saying, I do believe that the stones themselves do have a stake in in the worship of Jesus as King. And there is a reason why they would, quote, want to see Jesus worshipped. The first reason that the stones of the earth would cry out if the King is not worshipped is because Jesus is their Creator. The repeated witness of the New Testament is that Jesus is the Creator of the world. John 1, 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Hebrews 1, verse 2, we read, In these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. You see, Jesus must be worshipped because Jesus, the Son of God, is the Creator of all things. Not only is He the Creator, but He is also the reason why the creation exists. Colossians 1.16 For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. You see, the reason that the stones would cry out if King Jesus were not worshipped, is because they were created by Him and they were created for Him. He is their King as well as our King. Now we have been given a voice to sing His praise that they have not. But Jesus is telling us that the stones themselves would cry out if praise were not given when His glory is revealed. Now, The reason that rocks were not given voices is because their purpose and their place in creation is different than ours. We are personifying the stones as representatives of the created world, hopefully knowing that they're not actually feeling anything, right? They are rocks. But in light of their purpose, Jesus personifies them to show us how we are to act. Right, That is what Jesus is doing. He is giving the rocks the characteristics of humans, crying out to show that humans should be worshipping Him. So what is the purpose for which the stones were created? Well, ultimately for the glory of Christ. Yet the specific way that the stones glorify Christ is by sustaining life. Remember, the Lord brought the stones of the earth into existence to be the environment in which life is upheld, to be the ground upon which we walk, the soil in which our food is grown, the plains in which our animals are raised, to hold the waters at bay and to provide a place for humanity to dwell. The stones were created to sustain human life. So when Jesus says that the stones would cry out if humanity did not praise Him, He is saying that the stones, as part of the created order, the same created order that we are a part of, they are witnessing to the glory of Christ. And if humanity does not rejoice when they see a glimpse of it, the stones themselves will proclaim it in their own way. You see... When we see a glimpse of the glory of King Jesus in this world, we must proclaim it. We must worship Jesus when we see His handiwork in this world. And it's all around you if you have eyes to see it. We must praise Him for the weather, for the changing of the seasons, for the beauty of our land. We must praise Him for the provision of food and clothes and friends. We must praise Him for the joys that He has built into our lives and the wonders by which He sustains our lives. The stones are crying out all over the place. They are crying out, praise God, praise God, praise God, for He sustains your very life. Glimpses of the glory of King Jesus as Creator are everywhere. And we must join our voice in the chorus of the world. For the created order is crying out already. As we read in Psalm 98, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. When we see a glimpse of the glory of King Jesus, the only proper response is to cry out and pray. Now, when I was a child, one of my favorite activities was building with Legos. I'm sure that most of you know how these work. Now, every once in a while when building, I would realize that something was not quite right with my creation. There weren't enough pieces, or at least there weren't enough of the right pieces left. Things weren't fitting together well. And as I continued to add blocks, it started looking less and less like the picture on the box. And so I would soon realize that I had made a mistake early on, and I would have to go back and fix that mistake if I wanted things to be put back in their proper order. Now, creation is a bit like this. You see, there is something that is not quite right about it. But the problem is not the builder, the problem is the caretaker. There is something wrong with this world, but it's not Christ's fault, it's our fault. You see, the ground that was meant to sustain our life became the very ground that pulls us down into the grave. This creation is broken. And it's been broken by our sin. There's a very close relationship between man and the earth. And when we sin, the earth is affected. When man sheds blood, that blood stains the ground. Adam's sin did did not just cause the human race to be plunged into death, but by breaking the covenant of life, Adam also plunged the sustainer of life into death. That is, he plunged all of creation into death into death. Death entered the world by one man, but that death did not just affect mankind, it also affected the very stones. And now the stones long to be free. Now the creation desires to be redeemed. We read in Romans chapter 8, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Listen to this, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation is waiting With eager longing. It desires its King to come and to set it free from the shackles of death. There is something wrong with this world. And Jesus came to undo this curse. He has come to release creation from its bondage no wonder the rocks would cry out against humanity if they would not rejoice at the coming of the king no wonder they would voice their dissent the stones the entire creation is saying to humanity you mess this up once don't mess it up again Here He is. Here is the King. Here is the Creator. Here is the Redeemer. Receive Him. Receive our Rescuer. He has come to set us free from the bondage of death. For Jesus came not only to set humanity free from the effects of sin, but in doing so, He came also to fix what we messed up by our sin. For through Christ, God was reconciling all things on heaven and in, and in earth, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. You see, the stones would cry out if humanity did not worship King Jesus because He is the Redeemer of not just humanity, but of all creation. And when creation sees her Redeemer, she worships Him. For we read in Isaiah 55, The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord. The entry into Jerusalem was just a glimpse. It was just a window into what Jesus will do. But when the stones see their King revealed, they know it means that one day thorns will no longer infest the ground, but rather it will give forth its fruit with ease and abundance to the children of men. And by the blood of the cross, Jesus has bought back this world. And how much more, Christian, How much more should we rejoice when we glimpse the redemptive glory of our King? Now again, we are personifying creation to make a point about what we should be doing. When we look around the world, we know there is something that is not quite right. However, it is not just creation that is broken. Each of us are also marred by the effects of sin. As much as we can point to earthquakes, in hurricanes and disease and say that the creation has something wrong with it. We must see that we who can actually think and make choices are filled with all sorts of anger and lust and greed and coveting. Our relationships are broken. We fight with our parents, with our spouses, with our friends. We lie to make ourselves look better. We avoid conflict and let the weak be abused. We suffer with fear and unforgiveness and we pursue false idols and worship at the altar of materialism. We are slaves to sin. We are in bondage to corruption just as much as the creation is. And therefore, we are under the punishment of God. But our King has come. Our Savior has arrived. And the prophet Zechariah has encouraged us. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the full of a donkey." Yes, His royal march into Jerusalem was only a glimpse. But whenever we see a glimpse of the glory of our King of redemption, we must worship Him. For He went to the cross and He shed His blood to reconcile us to God. He went down into the grave to defeat the power of death. He rose from the grave to give new life to all the world. And He ascended into heaven and is even now preparing a place for us. And so when you see a glimpse of His glory, you must praise Him. When you see a child baptized, as we will in the 11 o'clock service, you must praise Him for His grace to open up the kingdom When you come to the communion table, you must praise Him for His life-giving death. When a friend comes to Christ, you must rejoice for their new life. When sin is defeated in your life and you begin to live in more holiness, you must praise the King of glory. And when a saint perseveres to the end of life and enters into glory, you must worship our King of redemption that keeps His own even to the end. You see, when we see even a glimpse of the glory of our Creator and our Redeemer, we must worship Him. And so I wonder where are the stones crying out in your life? Where has the Lord revealed Himself as Creator or Redeemer, and you have remained silent? This Palm Sunday, don't remain silent anymore. Yes, there are forces that will want to keep you quiet, whether at work or out in the community or at your school. There will be forces that won't want you to give voice to the praise of the King of glory. But if you are quiet, the very stones themselves will continue to speak of His glory. Now you might ask, well, how do I do this? Well, you need not be an expert You don't have to have a degree in apologetics. You do it simply by opening your eyes to see the glimpses of His creative and redemptive glory and allowing yourself to proclaim that praise. The stones can do it. I think that we can as well. The problem isn't that we don't know how to. We just need to be awakened to it. You see... I know that you know how to praise when you see glory. I have been with a handful of you when we've watched a football game. And when we see glory, we praise. I know when you watch a basketball game and you see greatness, you praise. And when you have your eyes opened to the greatness of the King, praise will flow forth from you. When I was 14 years old, my friend won tickets to see the Atlanta Hawks play the Bulls and invited me to come. Now, when he got the tickets, Michael Jordan was not playing for the Bulls anymore. He had quit basketball to try his hand at baseball. But in one of the most famous press releases of all time in the sports world, Michael Jordan wrote two simple words. I'm back. March 19th, he made his return. And six days later, my friend and I went to see him play on March 25th, exactly 23 years ago today. It was a great night of basketball. The teams were back and forth. Jordan scored over 30 points, but with five seconds left, the Bulls were still down by one. Then Scotty Pippen inbounds the ball to Jordan, Jordan. Drove down the court. He juked left. He stopped. He jumps and he shot. And all the fans, whether they were Bulls fans or Hawks fans, all became Michael Jordan fans in that split second. All together, we wanted that shot to fall. And as the buzzer sounded, the ball passed through the net. And the whole Omni Arena erupted in praise for the return of the greatest basketball player in the world. And Christian, the triumphal entry of Jesus is just a glimpse of the glory that is to come when the Lord Jesus returns. The people on that day saw a bit of the majesty of our Creator and our Redeemer. Their shouts of praise were based upon a small picture. But there is a coming day when Jesus will return. And He will come as a King, but this time not on a donkey, but on a stallion. And He will come not just as a glimpse of redemption, but as a full revelation of His power to make all things new. And therefore, we must praise the glimpses of His glory that we see now because we know that they all point to the full picture of His glory that is to come. The glory of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Creator, the Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to You now at this time and we confess that too often we have neglected the praise of Your Son, Jesus Christ. When we have seen His glory revealed in creation, when we've seen His glory revealed in redemption, so often we have kept quiet. We have treated these amazing works of our King as just everyday simple things. And yet we now ask that You would open our eyes to see the glory of our King, that we might be ready for the day when He comes again to sing His praise with all the saints. We pray this in Your holy name, Lord Jesus, for Your honor and glory. Amen.